I can't help but wonder how much they paid the guy who did the voiceover for that video, right? I mean, the <laughs> voice is just dreamy. That wasn't me. That was, that was Ben, by the way. Um, so in this series, if you haven't caught on by now, this is a series that's all about just us pumping the brakes a little bit. Um, if this was before anti-lock breaks, we'd be pumping the brakes uh, just as we approach a new building project. And with Lord willing, in the next three years, we're going to be relocating from this location into a, um, uh, an area, a place, a building that's twice the size, uh, roughly, of what we have now. And uh, continuing with uh, God's blessing to uh, see, see more people coming in. And so this is a chance for us just to, to pause and say, well, why are we doing this? What is this all about, really? What is the impact we want to have? And uh, last week, Ben launched this series by talking about what the church is all about. And in our, our language, when we say, hey, let's go to church, we often use church as a place. Church is a building. But when you look at what God's idea of church is, it has nothing to do with a building. Church is all about the people. People who have been forgiven, people who, who gather around God's love and God's forgiveness. And so here's uh, one of my takeaways. Ben didn't say this last week, but just kind of one of the things I wrote down while he in, in, imbued us with his wisdom was uh, that we're not, we're not interested in using people to get a building. What we want to do is we want to use a building to get people. And with, with that in mind, that, that, that first message from last week really sets the foundation for what the impact we want to do. We, we are the church. We're not building a church. We are the church. And so today what we wanted to do is focus on what it means then to impact people. What are these, who are these people that we want to impact? What does it mean to impact those who are already here? And that's what we want to focus on today. Now, before we get too much further, I want to give a lot of you an opportunity to do something you haven't done before, because here's what I know about you. A lot of you don't raise your hands in church. Like even when we ask questions from up here and we say, raise your hand if, and then we go on, some of you just don't do it. You're like, I don't care what he's going to ask, if it's true or not, I'm not going to raise my hand. So for some of you, this is going to be a breakthrough moment. You're going to be able to raise your hand for the first time in church, and maybe if you just want to get it out of the way, just like stretch your arms, just try it out a little bit. It's not that scary. But I'm going to ask you a question, and if, if you've never raised your hand in church before, this is, just try it, just do it. But here's the question. How many of you, <clears throat> excuse me, how many of you have purchased a piece of exercise equipment thinking it would change your life? Look at that. That's amazing. All of us are so, this confirms a few things for me. You guys are awesome and we're not that smart. <laughs> I raised my hand too. I'm with you. I raised my hand too. Um, here's, here's what it would look like for me and Amy. So about eight, nine years ago, Amy and I, when we were still living in Colorado, we bought, I say we, it was more me, but we were married. So we bought this thing called an ab lounge. Have you heard of that before? Some of you maybe have it. Except we didn't just get the ab lounge, we got the ab lounge pro. And I don't know what the difference is, but we did pay a little more for it. So we got this ab lounge pro and I'm thinking, man, this is going to be a life changer for me right? Like, I'm going to have this thing in my house. I'm going to use it every day. I'm going to have abs of steel and six-pack from, you know, and I thought, this is it. Like, this is going to be the new me. And I have to be honest, in the eight years that we've had it, I used it maybe 15, 20 times. I don't have abs of steel today. I'm sorry to break it to you. I don't have them. But here's the thing. It, um, for, for two years since we moved here to Minnesota, and by the way, by the way, so we got this in Colorado. Did you know that whenever you're in Colorado, you can just blame any bad choices on the altitude? <laughs> like, dude, why'd you run into that wall? Altitude. I don't know. <laughs> 
So, so anyway, where was I? So we moved to Minnesota, and, and we had this thing disassembled, sitting in a box for two years, just sitting in a box. And the most exercise I ever got out of that thing was, was about a month ago when I took the box, lifted it above my head, and I put it in the dumpster. But here's something that's true of me and true of all of us. <laughs> we, we buy into this idea that we can find an easy way to get what we want or get what we need. Or another way to say that is we all tend to drift. Like we, we get this idea that we can just sort of drift into the place that's going to be good for us, that's healthy for us, but rarely, rarely does that happen. So if you want to take notes, if you have your message sheet in front of you, here's fill-in number one. People drift, and when we drift, it's rarely in the good direction, rarely in the right direction. Um, some, for some of us, that has everything to do with, with exercise or nutrition, or, or for some it could be a financial thing. Uh, we get this idea that I can just do what I'm doing today, and th- this will be the last time. Tomorrow will be different. I'm just going to do what I do today, and tomorrow I'll just drift into a better place. And we keep saying that, right? Like tomorrow, 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 tomorrow will be different. But the thing is, when we do that, when we drift, it's rarely into a better place. And so when you find yourself saying that, when you say, oh, just today's the last time. This is the last one. This is the last donut. I promise. Tomorrow will be different. If, if you give that tomorrow excuse, you are a drifter. You are a drifter. And here's what I know about all of us. We're all drifters, all of us. In fact, I wanted to make this a little bit more pointed, and this is unprecedented because we're going to get to the first two fill-ins before we're even 10 minutes through. But the, the thing is, I wanted to make this a little bit more pointed because some of us could be sitting here right now, and we could be thinking, well, I'm the exception, though. Like, Matt, I did get that Ab Lounge Pro, and I've been using it. Or maybe you can think, well, okay, I just haven't decided to make this a point yet. And you could say, I could change any time I want to. Some of us might be there. But here's, here's the thing. I'm going to say this really emphatically. I won't say it emphatically. I'm going to phrase it emphatically because this is something that we all need to address. Fill in number two. Drifting is more a certainty than a tendency. You see what we mean by that? It's more of a certainty than a tendency. If, if I say, well, yeah, I tend to drift. I tend to not exercise. You know, it's just a tendency. It's like, well, I could change it. Or, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But here's the thing. I can say without a doubt that for all of us, drifting is a certainty. And I can say that because when you look at all the things we drift in in life, whether it's exercise or nutrition or finances, whatever the drift is for you, that's just a small, small symptom of a bigger issue. You see, everyone drifts from God. It's been happening ever since the beginning, ever since Adam and Eve fell in the sin. Everyone's been drifting away from God, and that is a certainty. We're born in the drift. We're born away from God, and, and this is just what we do. It's part of our sinful nature. And so here's the thing. If, if we think about, okay, well, what's the way to impact people? If we want to be a church that impacts people, where do we start? Where do we go? And the answer isn't some big program or some big fancy screen or video. Or it's not that stuff. It's, it's a lot more simple than that. The impact we need is simply a way to address this drift. And here's the good news. This has been happening for a long time, and God knows it. As you go back to the first century, 
when news of Jesus and his resurrection are getting out and people are being transformed, their lives are being changed, do you know what happened within a few months, a few years? Even then, people started drifting. And so right there in in those New Testament times, um, as we look at the Bible in the New Testament, some of the apostles actually wrote letters to people saying, hey, stop drifting. And they explain why we do it, and they explain how we get out of it. And I'll give you a, this is a spoiler. If you don't like spoilers, close your ears. But the, the, the remedy for this, the way to get out of the drift, is sitting right next to you. Aw. Some of the new couples are just like, oh, I love you. I love you too. <laughs> um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up to Hebrews chapter 3. There's just going to be three verses we look at today, just three verses Um, But there's a lot in here because this letter, Hebrews chapter 3 in the first century, this letter was written to people who were drifting from God. They were drifting from God. And so these, these verses give us insight into why we do it and how we get out. So Hebrews chapter 3. See to it. I love that word as they translate it here because that's exactly what the Greek word says. See to it. Look at it. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away or drifts away from the living God. Now, I'm wondering, let's take this in reverse. Who in the world would drift away from the living God? Why we do that, I have no idea. It's just part of our sinful nature. We drift away from the living God, the God who whose son, Jesus, went all the way to the cross, was put to death, and came back to life. Why in the world would we drift away from him? Well, here's the thing. It starts here. It starts within. This drift begins within. And it starts with a sinful, unbelieving heart. In the next verse, he'll talk more about what it is about our hearts that make us drift but it begins in our hearts. And so the other thing that we need to see is the answer to this or the way to avoid this or get out of this is also mentioned right here. See to it, brothers and sisters. And in the Greek, the fancy way that we um, categorize this, this is a plural imperative. In other words, this is a command that's not just given to one person who's drifting, you know, stop, on, stop, stop drifting, But this is an imperative. This is a command given to a group of people. See to it, brothers and sisters, that not even one person among you begins to drift because of a sinful, unbelieving heart. See to it, y'all. Okay, if if it's southern drawl, it'd be y'all. See to it, y'all, that not one of you, not one of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. So translation, here's what it means. The drift begins within. So we need to decide whom we will let in. Fill in number three on your sheet. So so since the drift begins within, we have to ask the question, whom will we let in? And the writer to the Hebrews said, it begins with everyone. See to it. He's writing to a group of Christians. See to it that not one of you begins to drift away from me. Which means that their environment wasn't just sitting in a large group in a church with hundreds of people But he was talking to a small group of people, and and he's basically saying, you need to be in each other's business, be in each other's life, know what's going on within so that you can stop the drift that starts there. So here's the principle. This is just a, a, a biblical, godly principle. 
that the answer to drifting is sitting next to you. And he's going to explain why. So, so maybe some of you aren't ready to answer this question. I don't know if I would be. Well, who should we let in? What, what does this person need to do? What is it that, that we're being asked to do? So the next two verses will help us figure this out, and then I'm going to show you some application of how we do this at Bethlehem. He says, but encourage one another daily. And that word encourage literally means call to your side, call to each other's side, like you're, you're working together, you're walking together. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. Because here's what we tend to do as drifters. We tend to say, yeah, God, maybe not your way today. I'll give you tomorrow, God. And God says, no, if you're going to fix the drift, it starts when the drift begins today. No more tomorrows. As long as it's called today, we need to encourage one another so that none of you may be hardened by sins. This is weird. Sins, deceitfulness. It's like he's pointing to this entity called sin, and he's saying this, this thing, sin, deceives you. And if you look at the last verse, well, what, where is this sin? It's in our hearts. Here's what that looks like, sin's deceitfulness. It simply looks like that voice inside your head that's telling you things that you know to be lies. Right? You've, you've heard the voices in your head too, right? I'm not the only one. We hear this voice in our mind that goes something like this. It says, do you know how stupid you are? Do you know how, how idiotic that was that you did back there? Do you, what do you think they think of you now? How can you be worth anything after, after you did that? Oh, you really did a good job back there. You should be proud of the things you can do. And see, the, the, the sinful voice inside our mind is just this little voice that can, that can infiltrate us, us with so many lies, so many half-truths. Now, here, think about this. So the next time you're thinking those things, like, well, how stupid am I or, or how foolish that was, what would it look like if you actually verbalized that thought to somebody else? Like, hey, hey, Johnny, I was just thinking today, you know, my inner voice was telling me that I shouldn't have done that yesterday and that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a fool or whatever. And Johnny's going to be like, you did what? Why are you even thinking that? That's the most stupid thing I've ever thought. And, you know, your friend would be like, these voices in your mind, they, they shouldn't be there. But here's the thing. That's what sin's deceitfulness does. There are these lies that can be uh, t- taught by ourselves as sin wells up inside of us. And those lies are the first step to drifting away from God. It's either a drift where we say, well, God, <laughs> he's too far above me. I, I don't deserve him. Or it's a, it's a lie where you say, well, I'm too good for God. The sin's deceitfulness is the first step in drifting away. So the question again is, if the drift begins within, who will you let in? If it starts with sin's deceitfulness, who is realigning you to where you need to be? And verse 14 gives us one final thought here. We have come to share in Christ. We've come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. And I'm going to do something here I don't usually do. I usually love the translations that the NIV has. But this verse, as you look at different translations, it's kind of tricky to translate the Greek. So what I wanted to do is take this and and turn it into more of a word-by-word translation just to make it a little bit clearer about what exactly this means. And so here's uh, the next slide, a revised different way to look at it. 
So it says, we have become shareholders of Christ. Now think of that in just business terms. Like Jesus has built up a a forgiveness, a righteousness for us. and, And we have that. We're shareholders of that. If indeed we firmly possess, firmly hold on to the, uh, to the end, the confidence we had at the beginning. Now what this would have meant for the original people that this letter was written to, imagine them in the first century saying, oh my goodness, we just heard news that Jesus died and that he came back to life. This is a life changer. And they quickly set aside anything they had believed before that And they began to learn more and more about this Jesus of Nazareth who had died and come back to life. And then they started to drift. And and the, the writer says, no, hold on to that confidence. Hold on to it. Because if you do, we are shareholders. We benefit from everything that Jesus did. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. Here's the first part. So, so the thing about Jesus is when he came, I, I know that God is the, the savior of drifters because when Jesus came, the son of God walked on this earth. He didn't just stand at the bank and, and chastise people who were drifting. He didn't stand at the bank and try to give instructions to people about how to stop drifting away from God. When Jesus, the son of God, came, he went right in the water with everyone else. And he went in there to go as deep as he needed to save you and me. And it took him all the way to his death. But in his resurrection, he lifted us out of that drift. He took us, he forgave us, he washed us, he brought us back to God. See, God is the expert of reaching out to drifters. And Jesus told so many parables that illustrate the love God has for those who are drifting, for those who are lost. So I want you to know that today. No matter where you've come from in life, no matter how far you've drifted, you cannot drift beyond the reach of God's love for you. And God loves you so much that even after he forgives you, he recognizes, hey, child, as long as you're in this world, (laughs) you're going to want to drift right back. And so he says to these people in the first century, as he does to us today, I love you so much that I want you to be in each other's business. (laughs) I want you to let someone in where the drift begins. I want you to encourage one another, to stand with each other, and to help one another. So here's the thing. As as you go forward from this day on, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Yeah, God calls us to hold on to this confidence, to hold on to, to this faith which he's given us. But he doesn't just leave us at that. But here's the thing, uh, last fill in here. You are not called to swim alone. We have one another to look in at what we're go- what's happening in our hearts and to address that be- before it turns into a drift. Um, because here's what we know about drifting. It starts with one small thing, but one small drift off course can take us quite a long way. So God brought us out, he washed us, he forgave us, and then he said, now encourage one another. Encourage one another as long as it's called today. 
So that's the basic biblical principle. If, if someone were to ask, well, how does God want us to make an impact in each other's lives? That's the answer. We are naturally drifters. Drifting is more of a certainty than a tendency. We need to let someone in because we're not called to swim alone. That's his model for in making an impact in the lives of individuals. And so here's how we apply this principle at Bethlehem. We are strategically a church of small groups. We are in our DNA a church that values Christian, a relevant Christian community. We're a church that believes that more important or as important as sitting here in rows is the importance of doing this, of getting together in small circles where we can actually get to know one another. Here's one of the cool things. When someone comes to Bethlehem a few weeks and, and they start to, you know, see the music and hear the messages and all the stuff that goes on. When someone comes up to me and they say, I just love Bethlehem after a few weeks, I smile and I, t- I tell them, thank you, but I'm thinking, I can't wait till you see the real Bethlehem. I can't wait till you, till you see the Bethlehem that happens on Sunday nights at 4, the Bethlehem that happens on Wednesday nights at 6.30. As you get into these small groups, you begin to see that the truths we talk about here actually can apply to your lives. And the community that you find there is what really changes your life. So we've been doing this for a number of years now. I I can't get credit for this. I mean, Ben developed the system. Then, hey, Matt, come here. Help us with this. And so I picked it up. Um, And so we are a church of small groups. And so what we did about a year ago, right now we have about 100 or close to 200 people at Bethlehem that are involved in our growth group system, about 200 people that meet um, during the week, uh, two, three, four times a month. And what we did a couple of we- a year, uh, less than a year ago, less than a year ago, was we basically approached those people, we, we sent them a, a survey to take, and we said, we want to know how we're doing as a church when it comes to this authentic Christian community. How are you growing in relationships? How, how meaningful is this? And we did a lot of data look. We, we said rate, rated on a scale of 1 to 5 and all this other stuff. And by the way, we rated like 4.4 out of 5 altogether, which means if you look at, if you, this is weird, if you go shopping for one of our growth groups on Amazon, you'll see 4.4 stars out of 5. That's kind of just, that's how we rate. That, that's all user reviews. Um, but one of the things we did with that survey was we just had this open comment section at the bottom. And it was purely optional. We didn't set it up. We just said, hey, do you have anything you'd like to share when it comes to your group? And we didn't say, tell us why it's great. You know, we didn't set it up at all. It was just a wide open question. And I was, I was really amazed. We got about 20 responses. People took the time to type in what their group means for them. And I narrowed it down to three that I wanted to share with you today because these three responses demonstrate what's happening at the real Bethlehem. Right? I could, we could call it the underground Bethlehem, but that sounds a little creepier. This is, this, is what, what, this is what authentic Christian community looks like. So this is what one person said. These are completely anonymous, by the way. I don't know who wrote this. Maybe they're sitting here today. I don't know. But they said, sometimes I share my French fries. And I can only assume that before their growth group, they didn't want to share their French fries. And it was only after they became, you know, committed to prayer and deep spiritual things that they were able to share them. That's what I read into it. Uh, Here's the second one, second one out of three. Group has been a wonderful blessing to my wife and I since we've moved here. 
I'm so happy that we are a part of this group, the friendships and Christian companionship. I couldn't help but think of that, that word, um, call to one side, call to each other's side. The companionship are more than I expected I would find. So, so here's what this means. They entered a group. Maybe they're like, okay, this is a church with small groups. Sure, I'll be a part of one. But once they got into it, they said, wow, I didn't expect to find this. Here's the third one. This group, this is three different people, this group has been a life changer. The friendships that we have developed from this group will last a lifetime and would never have happened if we weren't pushed into joining a group. <laughs> By the way, um, Ben is the one who pushes people. I don't, I don't push. I encourage And they actually clarify this. They say, I say pushed because it can be difficult to take that next step and we needed a little push, but it is one of the best decisions we have ever made. And the reason I wanted to put this one up here is because this is where so many of us are at the starting point, right? Where we're thinking, this this group stuff, that must be for the better Christians or that must be for different people. Or what is this? It's like an occult thing. Why do you have these groups meeting and, and what do you do? Maybe it's a fear thing. But this so much clarifies for me why it's important to encourage and why it's important for Ben to push. This is where the life change happens. If you're looking for the next step, if you're looking to grow... This is where it is because, you know what? We're all drifters, all of us. Drifting is more of a certainty than it is a tendency. And so if the drift begins within, my question is, well, who are you going to let in? We're we're a church that's designed to to provide you with an environment where those people are ready. And and they'll ask you, hey, how are you doing? And if you say, okay, they're not going to be satisfied with that. They're going to say, how are you really doing? all because we know that the drift begins within and we need to let someone in. We know where we stand. We know we're forgiven. We know what it feels like to have that peace and that hope and that joy. So we get to share that with one another. So that's my commercial. If you're not in a growth group, send me an email. We'll get you hooked up. Um, I hope you can come back next week. We will continue this series as we look at what it means, what impact it makes to live a life of generosity. It's an impact both for you and for the people around you. Till then, uh, let's, let's wrap it up with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I am a drifter. I, I, I am prone to wandering. I am prone to walking away. And, and so, Father, I thank you for the Christian people that you've put in my life who ask how I'm doing, who are not content with the okay answer, and those who ask questions that I know need to be asked on a regular basis. Um, I, I, I thank you for the authentic community that you place here among us, and that we have a church that's dedicated, devoted to making an impact one person at a time. I ask for all of us that you would send the right people into our lives at the right times to, to prevent that drift from happening, to prevent us from going down a path that we will one day uh, not want to go down. Uh, But I thank you that you have made it clear where we all stand today. We're forgiven by you, loved by you. Now empower us to love one another as you have loved us. I ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen.